This week's episode is brought to you by the Retail Innovation Conference and Expo. So if you can show me how to not wear black all the time, like that's awesome. I'm happier and I'll spend more money because you coach me out of my kind of comfort zone. So I think that's a big trap that a lot of companies fall into with personalization that is too good, quote unquote, because then you're never getting someone to change. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. I know what you're thinking. Great. Another conversation about AI? Listen, I get it. I get it. Hear me out, though, because our guest today lives and breathes AI. And she has helped so many brands, so many retailers really strike this balance between scale and optimization and creativity, editorial standards, and the artistry of creating content. My guest today is Michelle Bacharach, who is CEO and co-founder of FindMine. Now, I'm going to cut my intro short because our conversation is going on an hour. She shares so much incredible detail, so much insight, and of course, so much passion regarding this ever-evolving sector within retail. She lives and breathes this stuff every day, has plenty of examples to boot, so with that, Let's dig in. Let's hear what Michelle has to say. Michelle, thanks so much for being on the show. I am so excited to chat with you today. Thanks for having me. Same here. So to set the stage, I think it would be helpful if you shared a little bit about Find Mine, your mission, how you support brands and retailers, because I think it lays a pretty important foundation for what we're going to be chatting about today. Absolutely. So I can start with sort of my founding vision because I'm the CEO, but I'm also the co-founder of the company. So the reason I started it was that I was a product manager for my career before becoming an entrepreneur. And product management is all about removing friction from user journeys. And since that was my kind of career training, like personally, I just am absolutely allergic to friction in in a journey, a user journey. And so I found myself always being like, well, you know, I bought this skirt that I thought was really cool, but I'm not really sure what to do with it now. Like maybe I shouldn't have bought this. Or I fell in love with a white leather couch when I bought my first apartment. And then I was like, oh, but am I cool enough to have this in my living room? (laughs) Like, what do I do? So what I realized was there's this massive gap between the expertise the consumer has and the expertise the brand or retailer who is selling that product has. And the result of that gap, what kind of product category you're buying, whether it's like auto parts or like lumber to do a project in your backyard or like beauty, anti-aging kind of stuff, is that the customer suffers. The customer suffers because they don't get to live the best version of their lives. They aren't as successful with the things they're buying. But then the retailer and brand suffer because if you bought that skirt and it sits in your closet and you never wear it, you don't feel great about your purchase, 
it doesn't give you the warm and fuzzies for that brand. You don't go back and become a loyal customer. So the whole founding mission of Find Mine was finding a way to close the gap between the expertise of the brand and the and the customer. And these brands, you know, everyone selling product has like deep expertise and an editorial vision, and they, they want to make you a better version of yourself. But the tools and technologies available to them just really weren't helping them scale that piece. And so I found there was this huge opportunity to take what was happening, which was a sort of very human, highly manual kind of editorializing around product where they would hire models, go out into like a beautiful field in Tuscany and take pictures and have expensive lighting and edit it and Photoshop and all this stuff. Or they would curate like a beautiful window display with exactly the products that are going to be right for a mid-century modern living room or whatever. So we take that and we use AI to scale it. So we learn, we teach our AI how to behave like that visual merchandiser who makes that beautiful window display or like that editorial creative director who is designing this beautiful Tuscany themed photo shoot. And we teach our AI what the brand stands for, what their expertise is and what the editorial point of view of the brand is. And then the AI can pick up the baton from that human creative team and just make sure that that kind of editorializing around product is happening more often. So what that looks like in practice is as a customer, you go to a website, you click on the page for the skirt. Now you see it says complete the look and it shows you the fashion that goes with that skirt, the head to toe outfit that this brand is suggesting you wear to kind of make that work in your life. And given all their expertise and editorial vision, it looks like a dynamic landing page that's mid-century modern living rooms we're loving right now that's continuously updated. It looks like feeding it to the store associates in the store to help them elevate their expertise. It looks like putting it into digital touchscreens in the dressing room so that you can get that style guide to that product you brought in with you while you're shopping in physical retail. It looks like advertising social media posts that are very specific campaigns that didn't require a person working in the marketing team to take the running campaign and turn it into 10,000 different flavors of running campaign to make it personalized to the consumer and still represent the brand faithfully. So that's what Find Mine does. And there's so many different places that our customers are using it to increase the customer loyalty and lifetime value. But that is a consistent theme that no matter where you use Find Mine or how or what kind of brand or retailer you are, your customers are spending more money with you. They're coming back more frequently. They're becoming more loyal customers. Your return on ad spend is going up and you're really just having their back when it comes to expertise and helping them be a better version of themselves. And then they will reward you with that. Wow. So a lot of different applications, but also just so many different needs that are being addressed here, I think. Like you hit on the need for bridging the gap between the customer and like the brand's expertise, the need for scale, the need for editorial consistency and brand consistency. So there are a few different things at play here. And I know you work with a lot of different types of brands across categories, even different sizes. And I'm curious, like, are all of these... I guess, needs or possibly even pain points, are these all present among your customer base right now? Like I'm trying to get to, I guess, the heart of the challenges and pain points, even pressures that brands and retailers are feeling right now, especially as it relates to this entire idea of content creation and editorial, because I feel like there are so many nuances and even layers to this conversation. Like, are there any core things that are really top of mind right now? 
hundred percent. Yes. So I think it's really remarkable because we work with some of the top brands and retailers in the world and people who have to really care about their vision and can't sacrifice that because they're so big and so publicly scrutinized and beloved and that kind of thing. And then we work with some direct-to-consumer sort of digital native brands that have a much smaller audience, but they still have the same challenge where they need to differentiate. They need to be unique and add something over and above what potential competitors are doing because that's how you survive and thrive as a brand is to not become commoditized and look like everyone else. Because if your brand looks the same or feels the same or gives the same experience as everyone else, why as the consumer am I going to spend $120 on a pair of leggings when I can go to Amazon Basics and buy it for $30? So there has to be some kind of differentiation. And obviously like the product, the physical product itself is an area for it, but the experience and the sort of support you're giving your customer when everyone is so busy and so our attention is so fragmented, Adobe did this study recently of 2,600 CX and marketing professionals, and they asked them, what do you think the increase in demand for content is going to be in your business in the next two years? And most of the respondents said between five and 20X in the next two years. Wow. Demand for content. I'm like, they're already doing a bad job of this. Like they're trying <laughs> to keep up. You know, can you imagine like staring down the gauntlet of that? But one of the things that I think is also very common whether you're a small direct-to-consumer brand or you're a big multi-brand retailer with international presence, is your consumers spending time in the same places. And that's Instagram and TikTok and these very visual mediums, which are full of expertise. And so like we've all as consumers become conditioned to an inspirational, aspirational, beautiful experience from where we're spending our time on social media. And then we come to a website or go to a store and we get like a smidgen of that same inspiration and aspiration. And we're like, wah, wah, you know, for like (laughs) one product, it's in isolation. There's no storytelling. There's no editorial. There's no elevation. It doesn't help you be a better version of yourself. And it just, it feels jarring. And so I think that's really where this kind of demand for content is coming from, is that everyone needs to sort of elevate their experience to play the same game as is happening on social media, on all these off-property places. Because you don't want to cede your share of customer engagement to like a TikTok influencer. You know what I mean? You want them to come to you and your store and your brand and trust your team members and employees. And yes, influencers are important, but you can't give all of the power to those folks because obviously like the margin on that is not going to be nearly as high as if you sort of own it yourself. So I think that's like some of the commonality that I see affecting all different types of brands and retailers, whether they're small or big, doesn't matter what kind of category they sell or their margins, whether they're multi-brand or mono-brand. It's because consumers are spending their time on these places, regardless of what kind of company you are, you still have to react to your consumer's changing behavior. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the reality is, all of those different platforms and destinations, they're all largely visual in nature, but they all each have their own distinct requirements, maybe even best practices or unique facets that make those platforms valuable and distinct, I guess you could say, in the eyes of the consumer. So not only do you need to create that volume of content, but you need to be able to adapt that content, repurpose it even in a fashion that 
allows you to capture the best of that platform and meld into the vibe, aesthetic, or expectations on the consumer side for that platform. So again, very nuanced, very layered. And I think the conversations around AI have been so interesting because I feel like they've even evolved over the past couple of months where it was initially, oh my gosh, you know, they're going to take away the need for creators and the need for people who can create this original content to, oh, this could actually be an enabler and a supporting tool to allow us to really elevate what we're doing. And and obviously this is your bread and butter. This is the work that you guys are doing every day. So I'm curious, like, are you seeing this type of evolution too? Like are people coming to the table with a basic understanding of these benefits or do you kind of have to reverse engineer a little bit, start from the beginning, kind of get everyone on the same page as far as what level of value you are talking about as you discuss the application of AI when it comes to content? Yeah, I have so many thoughts on this. And I mean, I could talk about this for days, literally. So just to distill it down a little bit, hopefully, I think there's a couple of areas that are challenges and a couple of areas that are opportunities. So going back to kind of your point about like Facebook and Instagram, like these different platforms, right? Even like both of those are owned by the same company, but they're very different. The requirements are different. The advertising paradigms are different. One of the opportunities, and I think, well, the the challenge currently and the opportunity is a lot of the AI that those platforms are using are around understanding customer behavior, customer demographics, lookalike modeling, and targeting customers based on their interests and like highly personalizing. But the challenge that that presents is when you have the ability to so hyper-personalize and then your marketing team's like, here's the five assets that Creative has approved. You can't have one-to-one communications with 500,000 unique people. Like you're having the same five conversations with all those people. So one of the examples I use a lot is this idea of like a running campaign. So, and I talk about it a lot because like I'm a new mom for the second time and just getting back into working out and kind of like finding my new workout regimen. And like, that's a very different kind of runner than someone who's training for a marathon for the first time versus someone who loves trail running versus someone who has marathon many times. And I have a friend who's been to the Berlin marathon. Now she's training for New York marathon. Like we are very different kinds of runners and the kind of, of campaign that would resonate with us is incredibly different. And so if you only have a running campaign, how are you taking advantage of all of this amazing segmentation and hyper-personalization that Meta and you know all the other platforms have to offer? You're wasting it. So the application of AI has to go not only to the kind of understanding of the customer, the ability to have one-to-one conversations, the ability to have like right place, right moment, all that right product kind of stuff. It has to be the right message. But if you have the right message, that means you have to have a bajillion messages to choose from. And no human could possibly keep up with that. So there's this challenge. If you think of like a, we talk about our competition competitive landscape, kind of in a two by two quadrant where one is high quality and one is high scale. And so you have to have both of those. If you are just doing product recommendations, you can't really mess that up, right? It's like, you might also like this product and like, no one's going to be like offended and clutch their pearls and say like, how dare you? I would not like that product, right? Like, <laughs> right. <laughs> 
really low risk. But if you're talking about editorial and you're saying wear this outfit to be a good runner and you get that really wrong, people would be like, what are you talking about? That looks ridiculous. Or like those shoes do not make sense. I would roll my ankle if I were to do my kind of running in those shoes. And like, that's the consumer, right? And like, they're less sensitive to this than the brand is. Like if you show something and the CEO disagrees that that's on brand, like people lose their jobs. Like it is very sensitive and very high risk. So the quality has to be high. But if you have only humans that are able to operate at that level of quality, you will never get 500,000 unique, slightly different running campaigns bespoke for every single one of those conversations you can have because there's just not enough humans in the world to do that. It's not like Fine Mind's taking away people's jobs. We are doing something that no one was ever going to even dream of doing in the first place because there's just not enough hours in the day or humans in the world. So that's really where I think this education comes into play that AI in a lot of areas is automating away people's work. But when it comes to creative production, I believe, and it obviously depends, like within Fine Mind's kind of very narrow remit, we're enhancing the capability of the human creative workforce because they're the necessary ingredient to kind of set the vision and start the process. Like what, what is the campaign? What is the angle? What is the unique editorial point of view? Set that seed. And then that can be planted and germinated and cultivated like 500,000 times over by a billion times over by the machine, the engine. Whereas in other domains, like it is very fraught. And I do understand why fashion models are concerned. They don't want AI training on their beauty and then disintermediating them by making a CGI human, something that looks like a human that's not them. And then they don't have to get paid anymore. It's like, I would be upset about that too. So I understand. And I stand with the creatives and the writers guild and SAG-AFTRA and fashion models and these people who like could stand to get disintermediated in these other categories. But with respect to what Fine Mind does, it's really not replacing something that's already happening because it couldn't possibly have happened at that scale without Fine Mind in the first place. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's a really important distinction and addition to this conversation, Michelle, that, that there are some cases where this is a very real concern and it is impacting discussions around livelihood and the integrity of creativity. And that's probably another completely different podcast episode (laughs) because I do have some thoughts on that. But to dig into the, the retail use cases and applications specifically, it seems like there are still some misconceptions around AI, like, and how it exists within the four walls of the business. Are there any other like things people are completely getting wrong about this? And I guess maybe if you want to comment in context of FindMind specifically, or just AI in general, like, are you reading any assumptions out there that you're like, no, man, like, this is completely off base that you want to try and correct the narrative a little bit? Yeah, I mean, again, so many, too many to talk about in a short (laughs) podcast episode. But And it's also evolving too. But I think that my biggest kind of pet peeves, I guess, about misconceptions around AI is like one that it's like something to talk about as a standalone thing. You know what I mean? Like I liken it to the early days of the internet and like how ridiculous does it sound today to say we use the internet for banking as if it's it's like, get out of here. Like, who are you? Why would you think that's even worth saying? Of course, everyone uses the internet for everything. AI is that. It already is that. But people talk about it as if it's this like an end unto itself and not a means to an end. 
And obviously it's life-changing and revolutionary. It's like a huge leap forward in terms of technological advancement, just like the internet connectivity and access to digitize a lot of things that we do also is. But I don't know how much you follow kind of U.S. patent law, but currently the patent office, the U.S. patent office, like the government does not recognize novelty and patentability for something that is just using a computer to do something a human normally does, right? And that's the same with AI. So it doesn't really matter how you achieve whatever end it is. The end itself still has to be novel and interesting and worthy of doing in the first place. So like people thinking of AI as an end in itself doesn't make any sense. And there's a lot of companies, a lot of tech vendors out there who are like really smart Stanford PhDs who are like, look at this cool thing AI can do. And it's like, awesome. But aside from a sexy demo, like what does that really achieve? So I always like to think about working backward from the goal. What do you need to do? Increase revenue, improve margin, improve customer loyalty, improve your employee experience, reduce turnover, right? Like what are the things that you're trying to solve? Then map out how AI potentially could help solve that, but start with the why (laughs) rather than the how or the what, you know, AI is not the important part of this moment in time. You know what I mean? It's like, we're all going to look back on this and say, what did AI help us achieve? Not how cool was AI itself? So that's like my biggest one, I think, is like from a misunderstanding or misconception standpoint. However, I do benefit from it when people in the boardroom sort of pound the table and say, what's our AI strategy? And then they're all of a sudden, it's like this budget and like a big chunk of millions of dollars for like AI, <laughs> like a line item or a PL that like we can capture and take advantage of that. But it, it really shouldn't be that way. And I, I think it won't be that way for that much longer. I think it's just sort of a hype cycle phenomenon that we've seen before because it happened with the internet. But it's we'll get through that and then it will be much more practical, I think, the conversations we'll be having around AI. Great. I'm going to actually put the ad break in here because I think that was a really nice close off. Then we'll start into the next phase. So as we think about the opportunities of AI and that idea of kind of mapping to goals and objectives. You know, one of the things that was brought up earlier in our conversation is that ability to achieve scale, but also personalize at scale. And I'm curious, like your thoughts on whether this is like cut and dry, a good thing, you know, do personalization all the time, or is there a line between good personalization and bad personalization? Like how far is too far, I guess, is the the big question. Yeah. I've said this a lot before. So I kind of have my like hot button issues, I think. But one of my things around personalization is, again, going back to kind of the founding vision of the company, like I am not good at a lot of stuff. So if you just give me what I tend to do already, I never become better. I don't get to be a better version of myself. So if you can show me how to not wear black all the time, like that's awesome. I'm happier and I'll spend more money because you coach me out of my kind of comfort zone. So I think that's a big trap that a lot of companies fall into with personalization that is too good, quote unquote, because then you're never getting someone to change and improve. And customers want that, right? It's a, it's that lack of expertise. So if you give us that expertise, that aspirational view of ourselves, we will reward you for it. However, you can go too far with that too. Like I go to some websites and in fashion in particular, and I look at stuff and I'm like, I would never wear that. I am so not cool enough for that. It's like, there's a Venn diagram that has what's right for me as a consumer and what's sort of the vision of the brand in the other circle. And then that middle ground is the holy grail. 
that's really where customer wins, company wins, like everybody wins. So that's why there has to be a balance between those two things. And that's really what FindMind brings to the table. So we work with a lot of personalization vendors who have the ability to really give what's right for the customer. We sit on the side of the seesaw, making sure that it's appropriate for the brand and making sure that there's enough variety to choose which brand appropriate and kind of aspirational version is going to be the best for the customer based on the data that is revealed by the personalization vendor. And I think that a lot of brands and retailers, kind of executive teams, they sort of like miss that nuance, particularly because a lot of people who work in senior management or or creative or marketing at a fashion brand, at a beauty brand, at a home decor brand, even at like an auto like auto parts manufacturer for that matter. They work there because they like, they're good at that. They like it. They gravitated towards it because they're a fashion person or an auto person or whatever it might be. And they sort of fall into this trap that all, all humans fall into, which is sort of painting the world with your brush, right? Like you assume that other people are as good at the thing as you are, but they're not. And so a lot of times it's on Fine Minds team to kind of educate people. I remember doing a pitch. It wasn't Shark Tank, but Damon John was one of the judges. And it was like a fashion tech pitch event. And he's like, yeah, but do people really need to be told what to wear? I mean, don't they just like, no. And I was like, you do. <laughs> good at it. You're a fashion designer, but like the rest of us aren't, you know, we got left out in the cold. So there's a sort of like having to have radical empathy for your customer and put yourself in their shoes, which is so hard because what you do all day, every day, just, it feels so natural. And so kind of you're marinating in it all the time. And so it's so hard to take yourself out of that and put yourself in the shoes of your consumer who is not. And sometimes I I get these really funny emails or just like anecdotes from people on the brand team where they're like, not even about our technology necessarily, but about like, especially like very highly personalizable content kind of vendors. And like the CEO will completely freak out and she'll call 50 people on her team like, why does the site look like this? This is horrible. What is happening? And then like the personalization vendor has to be like, well, I mean, it's like based on customer behavior and based on personalization. And you as the CEO have really freaky, weird customer behavior on your own site <laughs> on everything you have, every tab open, like you shop weird. Therefore your experience is weird because that's what it thinks you are looking for. But most people aren't like you. And so like that also is a trap that a lot of companies fall into, which is like, it's really hard to understand what everyone's going to see if everything is fully personalized at scale. So is that a good thing? Do you want to have control to know what every single person is going to experience? Or are you okay with letting the like black box do its thing and show your customer something that you won't ever know what they're actually looking at? So I think that's also just like an organizational paradigm shift that certain companies will come down on on a different part of the spectrum than other companies. Yeah. Interesting. So I guess to go a layer deeper, like how do you encourage brands to strike that balance, right? Because we've spoken quite a bit about how every brand has very distinct expertise, you know, value that they're bringing to their customers through their content, through their knowledge. So there are editorial value drivers and standards that they do want to adhere to. So I mean, like, what's the balance there? Like, how do you recommend brand marketers and content creators kind of think about this? Because I'm sure there are some folks that fall into that trap of like over-optimizing and over-personalizing because it's just like a set it and forget it type thing. So how can they ensure that they're always, you know, staying true to the brand voice, the editorial standards, and like there is still that feeling of being high touch in a certain respect? Yeah. When it comes to like, you might also like product recommendation kind of thing, I say go nuts. 
You know, like if you stand behind everything you sell and you should, then there's no risk. Like I said, no one's going to clutch their pearls and be like, how dare you? I would not like that. You know, so like that doesn't matter that it's completely one to one and absolutely uncontrollable by the retailer or brand. Like I think that it's low risk, it's high reward, go for it. However, when you're talking about something that's more sensitive, like black tie barn weddings looks that we're loving right now, right? Like don't let it go unchecked. And so the way Find Mine handles that is that we say, so basically the way Find Mine works is like the page is loaded. Let's say this like black tie barn wedding looks we're loving right now. The page gets loaded. It calls our API. Our API is calculating dynamically at that moment, what is the right thing to show or set of things to show in this case. And so our API is saying, okay, what's my available inventory? Cool. All these are in stock. What's my, uh, if I put on my, I'm a brand creative or I'm a merchandiser, marketer, visual merchandiser, whatever stylist for this brand, what would I produce? And that's the on-brand piece. So we start there. And then we say things like, you know, the system is looking for, okay, what's going to drive the most margin? Is there an opportunity to showcase a product that's performing behind plan and elevate it in the customer's consciousness? What's going to drive the most revenue, et cetera, et cetera. And it comes up with 50, 100, whatever ideas that can go onto this page. Now, let's say this page only has screen real estate for 10 outfits for this black tie barn wedding idea. Then we can say, all right, now can we personalize? Within this sea of things that are appropriate and aspirational for the brand, which 10 are going to be the best for the consumer? How can we manipulate them a little bit to give the consumer something that maybe is based on something they already own or at price points they're comfortable with, or they belong to a certain segment? We can segment down based on that. So that's how we achieve it. It's like a cascading order of priority. What gets dangerous and the thing that I counsel everyone to not do is the reverse, which is personalize first and then make it on brand. Because the problem with that is there, then you're in the dangerous territory of everything looks like michelle.com and there's no differentiation between brands that compete fiercely and can charge $120 for a pair of leggings or whatever it might be. Um, so the brand has to come first and then you can personalize within that. And there's so much opportunity to do that. But if your customer really loves something and like the right, in this case, outfit to show that customer is absolutely wrong for the brand, you're going to confuse them about what you stand for, right? Like what is the point of them coming to shop at your site or store? If it's just going to personalize to them and nothing else, you know, like where's the for them? Where's the coaching, the changing, the aspiration? Yeah. It seems like it it could be a very, very fine line and tricky dance because I know I've had like some instances where a site or brand, like you said, almost knows me too well. And it keeps serving me the same stuff over and over. And like, I'm like, I already have this, like, I don't need it again. (laughs) Like it was like florals. I'm like, if I get one more floral thing, like I'm going to puke all over myself. So like, give me something (laughs) new, give me something fresh here. But there is that demand, you know, on the side of like the creative team and the marketing team. And it's a very real demand of like creating content, create the content, personalize the experience, scale the experience across all channels. And then at the same time, it's, new product lines dropping and new trends that you need to hop on. And I think that's one area I do want to make sure we touch on because obviously everyone was talking about Barbie core when the Barbie movie came out, there's cottage core, there are like all these like TikTok-y trends that are popping up and all these brands are trying to cash in. So like, what does that look like? And I guess in this case, you know, the find mine experience or a 
brand experience where you can capitalize on those opportunities. Like it is, is it relatively like turnkey and fast to to stand something up and be able to capitalize on those new trends? Yes. Um, sometimes too fast though. So what I mean by that is like, we can point our AI at TikTok and just general media, social or otherwise, and say, pick up on trends. So when something pops, make Barbie core happen. You know, we can do that. There's no reason we can't from a technical standpoint. The challenge is how do you know that that's right for the brand? Certain brands shouldn't be participating in Barbie core. You know what I mean? Like it's just not authentic to them and they seem thirsty or like they're losing part of themselves if they try to co-opt whatever moment is, if it's not authentic. Now, if it's authentic and it can be transformative, it can be amazing, right? It looks so relevant and fresh and of the moment to take advantage of those or just cheeky and fun and, and like you're all on this inside joke together. So there's so much value to getting it right, but there's a lot of risk to getting it wrong. So the way we handle this is some of our brands can say like, yeah, just react to trends you think your AI thinks are a good fit for our brand. And we can do it that way. Or you can, as a merchant or a marketer, come into our backend, we have a CMS and you can build a set of, you can build a Barbie core lookbook. And then just doing that once will trigger and spawn our system to create and create and create. So then we will say, Hey, this is new. It's a lot of pink and it's a lot of like very feminine things. And how can we take this and expand it and add it to different moments and different infuse it into different outfit suggestions and lookbook style guides, you know, all that kind of stuff. So they don't have to execute the trend or theme across everything. They set the seed, they plant it and they say, here's something new machine. And the machine will sit up and say, Ooh, this is different. I haven't seen this before. And it will use that as training data to then spawn new stuff, take advantage of that in other moments. There's also the ability to shut that off. So let's say you want to do Barbie core, but you don't want it permeating everything. You don't want it going beyond this one lookbook idea that you have in mind. You can come in and check a box that says featured. And what that does is it's just going to stand down our machine learning and our machine learning won't take that in as a new rule or a new theme or trend. And the reason we have that also is because like there's some brands of ours who have specific rules that override the machine learning. So let's say don't mix sale product with full price product in an asset or don't mix brand A with brand B because we're contractually obligated not to mix those together, right? And we want to make sure we get that right, regardless of what the machine learning says is best for the customer or the brand or the revenue. There's times we want to break those rules though. You want to break them in a safe way that's not teaching the system a bad habit. So sometimes you want to mix sale and full price product because it's all from the same collaboration or like collection with an influencer or because you don't have enough inventory and accessories because all accessories are on sale right now. So we have the ability for, for people to come in and override the system and have the machine learning stand down. And that allows you to decide how far you want to go with some of these trends and micro moments. Awesome. Amazing. So before we tie up our conversation and close things out with some recommendations, I do want to make sure, Michelle, that we go through maybe a possible example or you know show what this kind of looks like in the life. Because again, there is so much pressure on marketing teams to create content, to adapt content effectively across all channels and platforms, and then of course, ensure that that content is delivering results and, and meeting expectations of leadership. So is there a, like a way we can kind of walk through or an example, hypothetical or real of like how AI can help marketing teams build more robust content arsenals and, and even like 
use data to improve the value of that content over time? Because I feel like it's kind of a cycle, right? Like it's like you got to put the content out, you got to see how people respond, then you kind of help the AI learn, so to speak, and adapt and improve over time. So that may be a very um, overwhelming ask of you, but is there a way we can kind of like boil this down into an example of some sort? Yeah, no, it's definitely not an overwhelming ask because I think about it in terms of the customer journey and brands should too. And brands do too. I mean, it's not like they don't. It's that they do and they miss opportunities for lack of resources and appropriate technology to help um, stitch it all together. So what I mean by that in terms of the customer journey is let's start with, let's just start with Facebook as an example. So brand does an ad, an ad campaign on Facebook. There's either a campaign or you're retargeting a customer, personalized ad is going out to a customer. And there's something about that that captures their attention. They're like, ooh, Barbiecore, right? Whatever it is. And they click on it. So that's one place Find Mine can help. Because again, instead of having it be just the generic running campaign, you could make so many different flavors and then see which customers are clicking on which flavor. And then you have learned more about them. You learned, hey, this customer is a new mom runner or potentially is because she clicked on this flavor of the running campaign, not that flavor of the running campaign. So now you learn something more about your customer. You also had more of an opportunity to do kind of that like one-to-one personalization, but it's still within the values of the campaign and the brand. And so you got them to do something they otherwise wouldn't have. You captured their attention. So that's ROI positive already right there. Then there's where they land. So in a world where Find Mine doesn't exist, typically when you land, when you click on an ad, you land on the homepage, not very inspiring, right? It's generic. You land on a product detail page. Well, if, if the ad featured more than one product, you have to kind of guess which PDP to send the customer to, or you land on a category listing page. So it's like all the pants, or it could be manually curated by a merchant where they pulled in all the Barbie core stuff or all the stuff for a black tie barn wedding or all the stuff for a new mom runner. And so that friction, and those pages are obviously the best choice because it's consistent with where the customer came from. Like they clicked on that for a reason, something inspired them about it. So don't drop the inspiration by putting them in the homepage or generic PDP, but they are obviously the most time intensive and expensive to do. So that's where you tend to max out where it's like running is the best you can do. You can make the running page. You're not going to have merchandising resources to create 50 flavors of that landing page, just like you don't have the marketing resources to create 50 flavors of that ad. So that's another place Find Mine helps because we can dynamically curate the landing page. And one of our customers, um, DXL, so Destination XL, men's big and tall retailer, has a case study with Find Mine on those pages having an 8% conversion rate. It's a really strong, really good conversion relative to the average. So the ROI on your ad spend now is going to go up significantly because you're converting more customers than you would have otherwise. And you can do more of these pages because you don't have to burden your merchandising team with doing 50 times as many as they're doing today. So that's the second place in the journey. Then you can talk about product detail pages on e-commerce. So this is where you're kind of mid-funnel, you're evaluating a specific product and maybe it's like a little out of your price range or a little out of your comfort zone, or you love it, you're going to buy it. And now you can support the customer with a, here's how to use it moment. So that's what we call complete the look or complete the room or complete the regimen and beauty. But it's, you know, let's say you're looking at an anti-aging serum. It's the moisturizer, it's the primer, it's the, all the things that you would need to go with that anti-aging serum to get the best 
value out of it. Or in the fashion case, it's showing, you know, three different ways to wear it here. You can wear it to work. You can wear it to date night and you can wear it on the weekends and dress it down. So it gives more confidence that you can use that product successfully. And also you might get additional products, right? You might do an upsell buying an accessory or a pair of shoes that go with that outfit, et cetera. So that one is sort of mid funnel and then post-purchase. So I'm not going to go through everything, but like if you're about to bounce, like there's things that can pop up and help keep you by saying, Hey, do you want free personal styling? You know, and enter your email and enroll here, or we made a lookbook for you for the products that you had in your cart, like, you know, stay here and come back and purchase them. So like there's other things in the journey as well, but post-purchase is another really common example. So you bought this skirt. We want you to be successful with it. So we're going to send you a 10 day style guide that is going to show you all the different ways to use it and wear it. And then three months later, you're going to get another style guide because now it's winter. And we're going to take that skirt into your winter wardrobe with chunky sweaters, with tights, with knee high boots, with all the different kind of elements that you can use to continue to get value out of that product. But then also we have an opportunity to introduce new product to you from the new season without it feeling so salesy. It feels like it's an added value. And then we have stores. So store associates, private client, team members can use our software to get auto-suggested lookbook style guides, editorial moments and assets, products, gift guides, shopping lists, packing lists for a trip, et cetera. So that they don't have to be hunting and pecking for individual product to pull it all together. They can spend more time on the customer relationship. We're live in the physical store and the digital touch screens in the dressing room as another example. And then customer care uses our software too. Because customer care team members aren't stylists or interior designers, or they're really good at the customer relationship and solving problems, but they don't necessarily have the expertise that other people within the organization have. So we can help them level up their game by giving them as a next best action, hey, here's what you should suggest to the customer to help them be successful with this product to showcase the brand's support and vision and expertise to the consumer. So those are just some of the places around the customer journey where FindMine makes a difference. And the whole thing coming together obviously has a huge impact on customer lifetime value, top line revenue. It also helps impact margin because you can push product dynamically that is not performing well. You can elevate it from an editorial standpoint. So now you have more levers to sell through that product than just you know marking it down or putting it to the top left of the throw pillows page or whatever it might be. So those are some of the benefits. But regardless of where a brand of ours chooses to start, you're still going to get that benefit. It's just that if you put it everywhere in the customer journey, that's where you get the maximum benefit because you're supporting them regardless of where or how they're shopping or interacting with the brand. Amazing. I love that you broke that down into the customer journey and all of the different areas where that engagement takes place. And, you know, it's been a super, super deep dive conversation. I so appreciate the context and and the detail, Michelle, in our conversation because there is a lot of debate around, you know, what's happening with AI and how it'll impact teams. Like, is there anything else that we haven't touched on yet as far as like what the evolution of AI means for the future of marketing teams, for content teams? I think we've already drove the point home that this is an enabler. It is a force for empowerment and empowering people to do their jobs better. But is there anything that we haven't talked about as far as like how you think this will shape the way teams are structured, how they should train their people. I know I've had conversations where, you know, store design teams and they talked about how 
they are going to be paying attention to resumes where like they do know how to put queries together and know how to use these tools effectively for brainstorming. So I'm, I'm curious if you have any like closing thoughts around how you think this is going to shape marketing and content teams specifically. What I would love to see in the organizational design is more empowerment for things that are cross-functional. And what I mean by that is like, sometimes the CMO or chief digital officer will see what we're doing and be like, oh my gosh, I love this. This is great. Talk to this person. And they put us in touch with like the head of e-commerce. Well, the head of e-commerce doesn't really care about what happens. I mean, they care, but they're not incentivized, I should say, to buy software. And they don't even have budget or authority to buy software that is going to affect what happens on Facebook. So it's very disjointed. And the same thing with stores, the same thing with customer care. So I guess my advice to senior leaders in these organizations is find some way to have a cross-functional team rather than dipping into one piece of the customer journey if this is something that's exciting for you. Because obviously the, the chief digital officer, the CMO, they oversee all those different areas. Maybe not stores if you're the CEO, but maybe you do have purview over digital technologies within stores. So then how do you get that vision to come to life versus having it get so winnowed down into one piece and one use case in the organization that never then reaches its full potential? So oftentimes fine minds getting in the door with one of these use cases and then working our way around to multiple but then it's, you know, two years in before these brands get the true value, the full value, I should say, because they're still getting value along the way. But it's like, if you want this to transform your business and show up to your customer everywhere they are, you got to think bigger and you have to make sure that it's not getting distilled down so much in a, in a you know, highly siloed organization, which every organization is, and there's nothing you can do about that. But because you know that that's true, you have to just work harder, sort of cut across different groups, different people who have different motivations different budgets and find a way to say, you know what, this can touch everything we do. So let's find a way to make that successful rather than having it fall victim to our existing operational or organizational structure. And that's not just true for FindMind. I think it's true for a lot of AI technologies and a lot of technologies that are coming out now that are not point solutions, that are really, they're not point solutions, they're not platforms. They're not aligned to one particular business unit or another. They cut across and they're the connective tissue. And the organization is the one that stands to benefit if they can figure that out. I love it. Michelle, thank you again so much for taking the time out. I feel like we could go on and on and on and on. Um, we're already coming close to an hour. So I do want to give you time back in your day, but I would love to have you back on the show so we could dig a little bit deeper into some of the nooks and crannies of this conversation, because I feel like there are so many possible areas we could explore and of course provide value for our audience. But for now, thank you again so much for taking the time out to chat with me. Thank you. I enjoyed it. I could talk about this stuff all day. Awesome. Awesome. Well, hopefully we'll be able to get some follow-up questions from our audience. To that end, folks, if you do have any questions for Michelle or if there are any areas of this evolving technology you want to dig a little bit further into, definitely drop us a line on social media. We're on LinkedIn at Retail Touchpoints or X at Our Touchpoints. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to have a dynamic, community-driven discussion uh, next time we have Michelle on the show. And of course, we'd love to hear your thoughts on the episode. Leave us a rating or review on your preferred podcast player. We're on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, frankly, anywhere else you listen to podcasts, we're likely there too. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe to the show. We're always speaking with folks that are helping shape the retail industry, just like Michelle. And if you subscribe, you get the latest and greatest content delivered right to your device. So be sure to do that. 
Drop us a line on social media. Let's keep the conversation going. And of course, stay tuned for next week. Thanks again, everyone, for joining us. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up.